So welcome to Covenant 6. Um, that video took us through Covenant 4, Covenant 5, um, where we began with our first hook down here of God protects, provides, and pursues. So you remember uh, Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, um, rose in power, and it was through these events here of um, his wisdom that God provided him and in interpreting dreams that um, Israel came to then live in Egypt and they were provided for during the famine. Um, but then the Pharaoh changed hands and then they weren't liked. Moses delivered the people. God used him. And then we talked about the plagues. Um, so there was a lot of story in there of God protecting, God providing, God pursuing, um, and delivering from bondage. That was last week's hook, God delivers from bondage. And we see that with them being released from, from Egypt. And it was, it's, a, it's a historical reminder, but yet for us today, of um, being in a, in a helpless situation. I mean, they were in bondage. They were enslaved. And as Moses tried to uh, say, let my people go, they got more harshly treated. Um, and truth be told, that is um, very similar to our individual stories today. We are in captivity to God's enemy, Satan. And um, really, without the gospel, without the Bible, we would be looking around saying, how do, how do I get out of um, this world? How do I get out of my dire situation? And um, so it's evident that people are, are helpless, um, that there is a rescuer. We continue to see God performing um, throughout these stories. <clears throat> and that Yahweh, the Lord, desires relationship. He continues to extend himself. Um, even when the Israelites mumble and grumble and, you know, doubt God's uh, provision all along. And we see how mighty and powerful he is. I mean, he enabled Moses to divide the Red Sea. Um, he brought water out of a rock. He brought quail from seemingly nowhere, manna out of the skies. And as God delivered them, um, he wanted them to obey him all the way. He, he wanted them to know that they needed to depend on him completely as the rescuer. And, uh, and he continued to show himself faithful to provide, to love, and to protect. <clears throat> then on to today's lesson. So we've left them at the other side of the Red Sea. Um, they are provided for, wondering what's next. They are on their way um, to Canaan. But they, we, we find them at Mount Sinai or Horeb. Um, so Mount Sinai, do you know what else happened at Mount Sinai? Not that long prior to them being there this time as a whole group. <clears throat> what was it? Bush. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the burning bush. So this is where God had previously called Moses from within the burning bush. And God has now miraculously rescued his people and back to this place. Um, he opened up the sea, destroyed their enemies, as we were saying, cared for them, pursued them, led them, provided. So let's read why God continued to do this. If you guys want to go with me uh, in Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 20. Somebody read that for me. But the Lord selected you and brought you out of Egypt's iron furnace to be a people. 
So what are the Israelites to God? Yeah, special people with an inheritance. Yeah. He was his possession. They were his possession. Um, but how many times did they lose sight of this? A couple times? Yeah, I mean, already just in these recent accounts, we learned many times. Like, did he just lead us out here to kill us? Like, is he, can he not provide? It would have been better to remain in, in captivity where we had, you know, pots of meat. I mean, they continued to doubt his provision and all of who God was. And then, so, because they were that way, God turned his back on them, right? He gave up after three, three God said, three strikes, you're out. No. Why is God so gracious? <laughs> it's an inherent attribute, yeah. You can't, yeah, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, it says. So he's faithful to his promises, what did he promise to Abraham? He would bless those who blessed him. He'd make him great. <clears throat> his descendants would be great. All nations would be blessed through the descendants of his. Yeah. I mean, he made many promises to Abraham, and I think his graciousness is displayed through his faithfulness of keeping his promises. Um, and it wasn't anything to do with anyone along the way earning it or deserving it. But here we are um, at Mount Sinai, and God uh, overwhelms them. Oh, I didn't show you guys all these fun pictures. <clears throat> God overwhelms them with um, visible expressions of himself. A lot of you guys are familiar with the story. He taught them his holy standard. He, he tells them again that you're my chosen people, set apart um, from the world and called to obey and keep a, a covenant, a special covenant. Uh, in order to be accepted by him. And all of this is within a relationship with God. What are you smiling about? <laughs> that is special? <laughs> That's good. You can smile. <laughs> I thought I was like, had food on my face or something. Uh, <laughs> um, so even though Israel had already experienced God's power, they didn't truly understand the extent of this relationship and what, what it was going to mean as they walked with the most powerful high God, the only high powerful high God. And, and what that all meant in light of it. So we run into the beginning here of the Ten Commandments. Um, that we're going to cover all Ten Commandments in this lesson. <clears throat> and God is going, going to give them this encounter, this object lesson, so to speak, to reveal their sin. The effect of this was uh, they would be humbled. They would, it would personally reveal um, a need, a great need in them. Um, and just continue to point to how helpless they were as they looked, if they were to look in, you know, of their own abilities. So the hook that we have um, for today, the Ten Commandments expose our sin and our need for the deliverer. Or, you know, the Ten Commandments, uh, they uncover our sin. Um, it's not that the Ten Commandments created sin. Um, we see evidence of, of sin all over. What sin, sin is death. And we see... Uh, death, right from when Adam and Eve began to disobey God in the garden. There was death of God covering, well, death of a relationship. And then God had to kill an animal to cover them. You look at the flood. I mean, you look at Sodom and Gomorrah. This is all evidence of, of the sin that entered, the evil 
Um, so it's not like the Ten Commandments were like, okay, now that you know right from wrong, now there's wrong in the world. No, it's not. <laughs> there was wrong before the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> and there'll be other topics and truths highlighted in this lesson, and you guys have a spot in, your, in the end of your notes there to jot down some other things. So if there's things that jump out um, that I don't address directly, jot them down and then we can talk about them. So three months after coming out of Egypt, roughly, uh, the Israelites camped at the base of Mount Sinai. Exodus 19.3 tells us that Yahweh calls Moses up onto the mountain to meet with him personally. And so we'll jump in um, right after that. So Exodus 19. <clears throat> Yeah, about three months after. Genesis, Exodus, second book of the Bible, chapter 19. Um, so yeah, right before there, it begins in verse 3. Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called him, called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. Verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So, what did God offer to Israel? Yeah, not just people. Verse 6 there. So yeah, they are special treasure. And then in verse 6, kingdom of priests, holy nation. Yeah. Yeah, pretty awesome. Above all other nations, the creator of the universe <laughs> is telling them this. Set apart for God Almighty alone. So as a kingdom of priests, they would be a conduit or a channel between God and the people. They would hear God's voice. They would speak on his behalf um, and represent all the people to God or before God as well. Uh, not right now, to the Israelites, yeah. I mean, but in time, it would change. But at this moment, as they're just at the base of Sinai, they would be, Moses would be kind of their main speaker at this point in time until the law was established. Um, and what does it outline for the people of Israel to have to do? Obey him fully, keep his covenant. I like how, like, right before that, it says, you know how I carried you on wings of eagles, brought you out myself. It's like he says, don't forget how great I am. Now, obey me. Keep my covenant. And it doesn't say, like, obey me, like, most of the way or most of the time or begrudgingly. It says, obey me fully. So his voice and keep his covenant. So we talked about covenants a while ago. And God is a covenant-keeping or a covenant-promise-keeping God. And he was asking them to do that as well, to keep promises. Um, and with great speed, did we read this part yet? Um, 
we'll come across it here yet. Uh, what verse is it? Might even be, actually, I think it's a bit before that. But we know that they quickly responded, we will, we will do this. Um, but it doesn't seem like they were fully understanding what God was going to be asking of them. It's not that God was going to dupe them. God has, as I said, this was an object lesson, so to speak, for them and for, for all of us, for that matter. Um, so here God instructs that he would meet with them um, in a few more days. He wanted them to be prepared. Um, it says on verse 11, on the third day, be sure they are ready on the third day, for that's the day the Lord says that he will come down. So uh, verses you know, I'll just actually read verse 12 there. Mark off a boundary, talking about Mount Sinai. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Do not go up the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. No hand may touch the person or animal that, comes, that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. They must be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up the mountain. So what, hap- what would happen? If someone crossed this boundary that was marked? Death. Yeah. And an animal? Death. Death. Yeah. It's interesting, the death, that, like how it articulates that they are to be put to death. Does, does that, why do you guys think an arrow or a stoning? Yeah. Yeah, so there's like a distance thing going on there, right? Like, well, how can I go get them and do something if I'm not to cross that? So it's, it's just reinforcing this boundary. Like, don't cross this boundary. This is how uh, they would be killed. Um, what did this boundary and penalty to re- reveal to Israel? Yeah, yeah, that he's set apart, that, that there is a serious holiness to God. Um, and I'm sure bound up with that, as we know today, these people are sinners, and they can't be in his presence as sinners um, without any covering or what have you. So it shows that they are also to obey God completely, or there'd be terrible consequences. So again, God says that anyone who touched the base of Sinai where he was present would die because he is holy and people are sinners. God's holiness couldn't be in the presence of sin without serious consequences. It lines up with God's holiness and seriousness of disobedience. And then death separation has always been the result of sin. It's another example. I mean, we've been seeing more and more examples as we've gone through the Old Testament. As I've touched on already tonight, the flood and and Sodom and Gomorrah, we continue to see uh, the result of sin is death. So on the third day, somebody want to read for me Exodus 19, 16 to 19, either from the Bible or from the scripture on the PowerPoint. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet clash. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. 
and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Hmm. So how did God demonstrate his power and holiness? As he came down on Mount Sinai. Yeah. And I guess the sound of the trumpet. Yeah, the sound of the fire. Yeah, the sound of the trumpet. Yeah, trembled violently. Brett said the sound of the trumpet. Does everyone say trumpet or does anyone say ram's horn there? I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, this version says ram's horn. What version is that? Like, the trumpet. We're talking about verse 16. A what, sorry? The shofar? The I mean, this is a bit of a rabbit trail, but it's interesting because I was, I've sort of been wondering this earlier, but it says in verse uh, 14, 13, it uh, says like, when a, only when the ram's horn sounds, a long blast may they go up. But then in the NIV, then it jumps over to trumpet. Mine is the same, but then both are different as well. But then in the NLT, it stays ram horn, ram horn. Uh, four, 13, I think. Yeah. It's, it's pretty evident, though, that they're not come yet. Right. Okay. Because then in my mind, I was wondering, where is the ram's horn that does sound where, whereby you're allowed to come forward? You're allowed to come forward. Anyways, that's, uh, if you know that answer, get back to me. <laughs> I'd like to know. Because I was curious if this was it, because then Moses then shortly after does go up, right? So is that the ram's horn that he's allowed to go bypass now? And he's the only one? Or was there a later one where then thereby everybody could now go as they chose? Anyways, that's a rabbit trail. I won't uh, chase it down. If you find the answer, well, let's talk about it later. <laughs> yeah, so we'll get there. And why was he? That's kind of the next question. No, it's all good. Um, it says here, well, let, let's just read. Okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So God demonstrated his power in all these things. Um, Moses does go up, but before we kind of dive into why that is, just I want to kind of draw you guys into this, this time, uh, of this story here of, of that, the billowing, the, the earth trembling, the mountain trembling. I mean, it's hard to imagine. Has anybody here been in the center of some really unnerving storm yeah it's like I, I think back to one time I was in northern Alberta fighting fires and and there was this thunder lightning storm that just went one way and then came back over us and it's literally almost felt like the ground <laughs> shook with the rumble you know and in those moments you know you've probably been there where you kind of deek down because you think like that's gonna help <laughs> somehow right <laughs> but it's like I mean that's I don't know, it's about the closest thing as I can imagine of experiencing that, but yet so much more. I mean, smoke billowing. Um, I think in uh, somewhere in Hebrews 12, 18 to 21, 
I believe it is, it, it talks of um, the people shook and trembled with fear. And it says Moses trembled with fear. So he, it's not just that the mountain trembled with fear. It caused the people to as well. So in verses 19 and 20, moving on, um, can somebody read that for us? Good. So he crossed this boundary. He doesn't seem to have died at this point in time. Um, how come he wasn't killed or why would God, maybe I won't ask it that way, but yeah, why could he cross unscathed? God told him to come, like he called him? Yeah, he was being obedient yeah. Yeah, to what God was commanding. I mean, and so I think inherently in that, I, I would suspect he was trusting God. Like, okay, like you just said one thing, but now you're calling me. So I'm going to believe that I need to obey. <laughs> and, and that's okay, because this is what you've asked me to. So yeah, I think it, it was to do with obeying and trusting God in that moment. So we're diving back into this covenant word. And, and um, again, the Bible Project guys have a really cool study guide on covenants. If you want to pull it up or I can email it to you guys. Um, they have one little chunk in there that I copied and pasted here. It says, Covenant is an English translation of a Hebrew word, berit, and Greek, diatheki, or diatheki, word that describes a formal relationship between two parties who agree to a set of promises so they can work together towards a common goal. So, between two parties, in this situation, between God and Israel, and here... Um, we know that it's ultimately going to be fulfilled by God uh, in his loving, gracious nature because he knows. He's the God who is all-knowing. He knows that people are unable to keep their part fully um, all the time. So, really, this is still true about the other covenants that God made, except some of the covenants um, were totally one-sided. Like, for example, the Noahic covenant... Um, God didn't require anything of Noah. <clears throat> I mean, he still desired his obedience, um, but God just said, I'm not going to kill the world like this again with a worldwide flood, so the rainbow is in the sky. That was a one-way, a one-sided covenant. Um, God's covenant promise to send the deliverer was a one-sided covenant. It wasn't hinging on mankind's obedience. That would be horrendous if it was. Um, what else? Um, God's covenant promises to Abraham. I mean, he still asked Abraham to follow him and obey, um, but God was going to bless him, give him numerous descendants, as we talked, all the other ones, and the deliverer would come through him. I, I like, like, when you think of a covenant, how much it, it shows us that our God is a relational God. It's like here again and again, he gives this um, opportunity to engage with him. And uh, again, it's not because God needs anything. He is self-existent. Um, he does not require mankind's participation. Um, but I believe it's because our God is a relational God. He longs for a relationship with his image bearers, humanity. Um, every man, woman, and child. But the trouble is, is for it to work out perfectly, he requires perfect holiness. And he knows this is impossible for people. Um, there, there's only one possible way for the covenant to be kept is that we must accept the holiness that only God can provide through his way 
and through coming God's way, it involves repentance and faith. Just like Abel, where are we at, Abel? Just like here, Abel had to come God's way, which was by repentance and faith, right? I don't think that he knew everything he was doing here was right, that this was the formula of, uh, you know, blood sacrifice and all that good stuff. But his heart was one of worship and obedience and trust in the coming deliverer, and Cain's wasn't. Um, and so as we go forward in, more, in these covenants that we continue to look at, um, it's not a formula. God's not looking for a formula. He's looking for the obedience, the trust, and the faith. Um, you know, saying that his way is far and above our way, not only just tongue lip service, but in, in our heart service, in our, in our desires and obedience, in our affections. So, God's offer, back to Israel here, God's offer was an act of love, was it not? He had no obligation to do what he was going to do. It was pure love. He didn't want Israel to walk away from into an eternity of separation uh, to the lake of fire that God prepared for, for Satan and his followers. He wanted them, I believe, what the Bible teaches is for them to see their sin and their inability to help themselves. Their inability to make themselves right with God. Their inability to scrub themselves up by their own efforts. God didn't write a self-help book. He didn't uh, send motivational coaches to make our life our best life now. <clears throat> I just saw something from Joel Osteen. It's like, your life or your best life right now or something like that. That's not, that's not the gospel I know. <laughs> he, wanted, he wanted his people to come to him by repentance and faith. Total dependence. Think about it. Who else? Or sorry. As we move on from... Park that, park that. The next question, as we, as we dive into some of the power of God, what, what do you guys think are superpowers today that people fear that um, cause people to shudder or tremble, both the physical world, spiritual world? Other things in, in Whitehorse that cause people to shudder, to tremble? I would say organized crime. Gangs. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Disease. Running out of toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> You're not laughing, so you're serious. No. <laughs> People are worried about this because clearly it's all off the shelves. <laughs> um but yeah, that's <laughs> Yeah. There you go. Yeah, get to the underlying of that. Exactly. Uncertainty. The unknown. The un being out of control. Yeah, I was thinking environment. In the environment. Bring it on. What's that? Bring it on? Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's minus 30 this morning. Um, so, I mean, but as we think of global warming or as we think of disease, are any of these equal or do they compare to God's power? 
over the world, over the universe? Nothing in comparison. Who was there in the beginning? Who was over here? Do I see COVID-19 over here? Um, do I see uh, global warming concerns here? Do I see uh, maybe medicine men or shamans over here? Are they, were they here in the beginning? No. The sovereign almighty God was here in the beginning and continues to exist today. And, uh, and he's supreme. He's not going to uh, give power to these things. We can give them power, but it's wrongfully placed power because he alone is in control. So let's go to see how Israel responded to his power as the mountains were trembling, they were trembling. <clears throat> um, da -da -da -da. So Exodus, we're back here. I just want to back up a couple verses, I think, 19. So it says here in Exodus 19, 4 to 6, if you obey me fully, right here, and keep my covenant. So, sounds pretty simple. <laughs> then you'll be my treasured possession. Wow. Jumping ahead. So it means the fact that you will be a king of a priest, wouldn't that seem to indicate that they, that they would reveal God to the nations around them if they keep all working as a priest? I think so, yeah. What do you guys think? I mean, we know that they ended up being a testimony. Yeah. Pardon? Yeah, yeah, the odd time. Um, so he told them to obey. They'd be his treasured possession. And then in verse uh, 8 here, so Moses went back, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them the words that the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. What does it say? Let's read this part together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought back their answer. <laughs> brought their answer back to the Lord. We will do everything. Wow. Did they, act, did they speak a little out of, out of turn, slightly? I mean, they, I, honestly, if I was there, I would kind of would like the idea of being uh, God's prized possession, prized treasure. Who wouldn't? I, I could see how you'd be swept up in the moment. Yeah. I mean, they were probably starting to go back on thinking they existed by their own strength and wisdom in their pride. They're still sinners, right? They're not immune to uh, sinful thought. So I'm sure they started to come back thinking, oh, maybe we kind of had something to do with coming out of Egypt. And, you know, Moses did hit the rock, so he had a part to play in it all, you know. And so maybe, maybe we could do this, everything that the Lord commands. Maybe... Maybe we've got it in us, guys. What do you think? Pep talk rally? This is right before the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's the, they haven't been given the Ten Commandments yet. Um, so yeah, so they said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. Um, it, says, it says here, just the elders said that, right? He summoned just the elders, and they're the ones that responded? No. Yeah, all the people. So here we have not just the leaders, but it's, it's all the people of Israel saying, we will do this, everything the Lord has commands, everything the Lord commands. 
So they all agreed to the covenant. They weren't being led astray. They didn't have just the leaders making the answers for them. I just want you guys to get like the, the, the whole gusto of this, this movement here. Um, so God didn't demand they entered. He said there was that big, where did we see that? Where is that big? Da, 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 da. Now, if in verse five, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. So he's not saying you will fully obey me and you will. I mean, he had the authority to say that, but he didn't. He said, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Sure, we will, God. Why did they agree to the covenant if you obey me fully? Why do you think? That's right. Yeah, what did we have? I don't have enough poster space here, but when we were looking up, that's angels, mankind. When we looked at uh, our ability, where is it here? Here, it has a limited, limited and blind in comparison. <laughs> has a body limited and blind in comparison, right? This is speaking of mankind or humanity. We, we can't see, like you said, Brett, we are blind. Okay, I think next week I'm going to come up with a Velcro system for underneath the pipes or something like that. I think it, it was my wind. Come on, we put for now. No. Okay, you guys see this? Memorize this chart. Memorize that one. There. Counterbalance. <laughs> on the podcast, our posters just fell over. Um, so yeah, Brett, you hit the nail on the head, I think. They, they didn't see what all God was asking of them, and I think that just continues to affirm that how limited we are in our sight and, uh, and understanding. I mean, I think it also, yeah, it, it reveals them corporately. Although they saw all the things happen in Egypt, they weren't understanding all of who God was either. Not only they weren't seeing their inabilities, they weren't seeing all of God's holiness. But to give them, <laughs> to humanize them some further here, they probably didn't know what else to do. <laughs> I mean, they're in the desert. They are utterly dependent on him. No, God, we won't do it. <laughs> I guess that was the alternative. Yeah. So again, then you got, it kind of drives your mind to think, well, what, what's the purpose here? What's the greater purpose? So we'll get there, but the, it's not simply a yes or a no. That's not the exercise. Um, God was offering them this special relationship, and yet they had no idea how sinful they are and how holy he is. Um, and so that's where the Ten Commandments are going to come into the picture. I mean, I'm sure there was arrogant, you know, uh, and willfulness in many people, but I'm sure there was those who were probably sincere and like, yeah, I, I, want, I want to follow uh, this relational God, um, albeit they don't know clearly what they're saying as they, as they agreed to this all. Um, but they, I'm sure there were some that were knew, knowing God to be good. Um, but they were going to need these Ten Commandments to kind of uh, put them on their haunches, <laughs> show, them, show them where they actually sat and how much they were going to miss the mark. Um, 
So we have, I lost my pace here. So then in verse 10 of uh, chapter 19, the Lord tells Moses, or told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. Um, be sure they're ready on the third day. Because that's the day the Lord was going to come down. Um, I, that was a little bit of a shortened form of reading there. So, he said he was going to meet with them in three days, a couple days to consecrate themselves, you know, wash their clothes, refrain from sexual uh, intercourse. Um, there was something else there too. <laughs> but yeah, prepare for his arrival. And um, imagine hearing that though. Moses tells him to do these things and I'm going to come down. <laughs> okay, so this God that just shook the mountain, I'm going to come down. Get ready. Put yourself there. How, would, how, would, how should Israel take the news that God was going to come and speak to them um, and, and their need to prepare for it? If you were an Israelite. Seriously, take a seat. Yeah. Nervous? Yeah, Excited? Yeah, strip them with the plagues. Yeah, it's, it's easy to think of these questions and stuff in isolation to all they would know at this point and all they would have experienced. I mean, the God who parted the sea, the God that just shook that mountain and all this thunder and smoke is going to come down and, and, and meet with us. Well, this is before he comes down with the thunder and smoke. Oh, right, yes, yeah, sorry, before the thunder and smoke. Thanks, Brett. You're right. Yeah, it would be, I mean, it'd be fearful, exciting, nervous, like trepidation. Like, what's, what's going to happen? It's like, they didn't have the Bible to read the story. <laughs> They're just living it, living it. So on the third day, they saw and heard God's awesome presence on the mountain. Like as you're saying there, Brett, in, in verse uh, 16. Oops. And it says, all the people in the camp trembled. Um... Sorry, that's Hebrews. It says that the people trembled. But on the third day, in verse 16, the thunder roared and lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. And there was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn. There it is. And all the people trembled. Freaky. <laughs> what is going to happen? Even though they trembled when Moses called to them, they stood at the foot of the mountain. They were so afraid. Hebrews 12, 19, as we read there, said... 19 and 21, they all trembled. It says that they begged no further word be spoken to them, actually. They wanted Moses just to relay God's message. Do you think they were starting to catch a glimpse of God's holiness? And their helplessness? <laughs> if he comes any further down, we are toast, toast literally, and more. Burnt toast. Remember God's initial statement? We keep going back there. If you obey me and keep my covenant. They had to perfectly obey. I heard someone on a plane once, they were witnessing to a, a, a non-Christian or whatever, and, and he's like, well, how would I get to heaven? Like, do I need to believe in Jesus and this and that and the other thing? He's like, no, you just got to be perfect. <laughs> well, that's with the Israelites too. They have to be perfect. 
obey every command of God to be accepted. In other words, they had to be just as holy as God is. Their character had to perfectly line up with his character. <clears throat> this is possibly why God, I think, went to such great lengths to, to grant this grand illustration, this grand object lesson with Israel. I mean, in our lessons, we use pictures, we use this chart, and we crumple things up. We use PowerPoint to try and engage our minds and get people thinking more. Well, I think God was doing that on a mountainous volcanic scale uh, by engaging them in a greater way. He, he could have just said, hey, guys, I'm holy, you know, which means I'm set apart. So, I'd, you know, you got to respect me and do what I say. Uh, but he didn't. He, he causes these things to happen. Um, and this is his plan from the beginning, I believe, to reveal himself in such a way so that his holiness would be so magnified, or it, he is super holy, but he would want them to understand it. Um, and so, from the beginning, he, he reveals more, this redemptive plan, his holiness, a bit at a time. Progressive revelation is happening. Israel knew God through their ancestors. Moses was telling them more. But they needed to fully understand God's holiness, his holy standard, which would then reveal their sin debt and their need for repentance and faith. So God takes them in on this multi-sensory adventure, <laughs> um, this object lesson to drive these facts home. I mean, <clears throat> I think you guys all know this, but I'll just say it. Anyways, the point of the Ten Commandments that were about to come wasn't that if they did them all, they'd be good to go. God didn't say, you know, do these and you're, and you're just as holy as I am. Never is that quoted anywhere. Rather, it required faith in God's coming deliverer. It was going to point them in a certain direction, and that's what God wanted them to realize and to know. God can only accept us through repentance and faith and, and not through doing something, not through keeping rules or laws. So continuing to bring ourselves into the story with Israel, we're now standing at the mount, foot of Mount Sinai, we're feeling maybe, you know, God has come down. We're feeling nervous, anxious maybe, fearful. I mean, maybe you're starting to feel overwhelmed. Maybe you're starting to feel humbled. Any other emotions come to mind? You've already had your feelings associated with waiting for a few days, and now, now here it is. <laughs> yeah, you think you're going to be judged right there on the spot, maybe? That's what they got, even so much with all the emotions that was like physical things, like heart pounding, hmm. you know, like the pulse racing, and like, you know, sweating. I don't know, I'm just trying to think physical responses that are like anxious. Where's the kids? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope you're buckled up. <laughs> this is going to be quite a show. Yeah. How do you think, how do you think, uh, or the, how do people think they can come to God and be seen good before him at this point in time? So here they're standing before him. He's displaying their holiness, or his holiness, I should say. Um, I wonder if, what they're thinking. Is he going to accept us? Are we good enough? What does he need of us? What does he require of us? God alone is the only one that's shown us what true holiness is. Um, 
And, and I'll ask you guys, can we make ourselves as holy as God? No. We're helpless. We're utterly dependent. Utterly dependent on Him. Let's dive in here to... Good, that did show up well. Okay. <laughs> I was like, is that red going to work? Um, so let's dive in here to the Ten Commandments. This object lesson, this, uh, this exposure exercise, this uncovering exercise. So we have Ten Commandments. <clears throat> you can see them here on the projector, uh, lined up with the verses. First to the tenth, it says, No other gods before me. Make no carved idol. Don't take God's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. Honor your mother and father. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. <laughs> All right. Yeah. The first three, um, we're going we're gonna to follow literal meanings of all these as God lays out these commands. And uh, the, the first three here in Exodus uh, 20, verses 1 to 3, <clears throat> first God reminds them of who he is. He gives these instructions to the people. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. So he reminds him he's supreme, and then he adds a personal touch. The Lord, your God. <clears throat> he was the one that initiated the rescue. You'll have no other God before me. That means their lives were to really revolve around him. <clears throat> Nothing else. He was to be their life at all times. They couldn't let anyone or anything else be before him. Not, no, none greater they were to worship God alone. <clears throat> Sorry, I got a frog in my throat. <clears throat> How about the next couple of verses there? Four to six, somebody want to read that? You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, we will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations and those who love me and keep my commands. Okay. So don't make carved idols. God was demanding them to not worship anything in place of him. Again. God has no equals. Was there anyone else there in the beginning? Carved idol that we see down there at the end of the eternity chart? <clears throat> in the beginning, it says God in Genesis 1.1. It doesn't say anything else. There was no one else. So God was, he created us to worship him and him alone. He didn't want there to be something that we would make and value and treasure above him. Um, yeah. He is worthy of our worship because he is holy, he is supreme, he is sovereign. <clears throat> Something we don't often talk about, and, that, and for those of you that were in Northern Collective last Sunday, I think it was, um, you get a little bit of a cheat on this, but what, what is worship? I mean, he doesn't want other gods to be ahead of him. He doesn't want there to be carved idols that we worship or made images that we worship. But we're talking about worship, and yeah, we use it a lot, but what is worship? 
ascribing our minds, honoring God, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, devotion. I mean, as I think of it in layman's terms, where do my thoughts go? Where do my finances go? Where do my affections go? Where does my time go? Those are the things I worship. (laughs) Especially what priority they're in. I mean, a person can worship their family, technically speaking. You can worship your checkbook or your bank account. <clears throat> you can worship your boss if, you're, if you put them above all else. Um, yeah. I think it's just good to kind of lay that out like that because sometimes we can realize that we're pro- perhaps worshiping an idol in our life. Sometimes we th- hear the word idol or, you know, well, I don't, have, <clears throat> I don't have this cast image in my house, but what do you have, you know, that, that you worship that isn't God? <coughs> they just read Colossians 3 6. Or, um, sorry, which is Colossians 3 5, which ends in which is idolatry, it's a list of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there's a whole list, I guess, too, though, before three. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Coveting other gods, coveting idols. Not sure all taking God's name in vain, but Well, I think like those first three are kind of isolated in that it deals with God being supreme and number one. Um, and I mean I could see uh, how then the remainder ones is it Romans one where it says they gave him over to debased minds, like they it was covetousness that they suffered from and he gave them over to that. Um so, I mean, you can, yeah. Yeah, there was a commentary that I read that chapter as well. <laughs> there was a commentary that talked about covetousness and then referred back to the Ten Commandments that it's the last one, something because it, it can, regarding idolatry, being like one of the chief, I mean, no, pride is a chief sin, but, but one of the other next chief sins is idolatry. And so it's there, because it's such a form of, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. But there was a good, there was a connection. It's putting more value on those things than putting on God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, worship is like an investment. Like your best collection. Yeah, totally. Where all the energy goes towards. Yeah. How about, uh, how about the third one here? Um, verse 7. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. How is, how is that third one t- connected to the first two? Yeah, yeah, it's very much connected to God's, God's character of being supreme and, and holy. Yeah. There's a place or two where it, uh, in 
Yeah. Almost like no other gods and no other names of gods. <laughs> yeah. And, and honor the, the name of the one true God. Do you think it's every day maybe um, like making an oath you don't intend to keep? Or I mean, <laughs> like, it could be, I guess. I mean, you're taking it, like, in a sense, vainly at that point. Yeah, like, you've diminished it. Yeah. You've, you've made it... Like, empty yeah in that sense i mean you think of like don't be vain that's how where i go with this right like and you think of vanity i, I always think you have like a vanity mirror yeah. you know like in bathrooms isn't that what you call them a vanity mirror where you, you make yourself look good or whatever and it's like that's emptiness right it says like beauty is fleeting and all that and deceptive and it's like well if you're going to take god's name and use it in an empty promise yeah. it's like makeup it's like whatever it's like you're making it hollow. You're turning his name to a hollow log. And, and this commandment also, when God's name is referred to, like even in, later in that same chapter, Colossians says to do everything in the name of the Lord. So when we think of the name of the Lord, God's name, it doesn't just mean the word. It means, um, according to something I read this week. <laughs> contrary, like, yeah. Gotta write this stuff down. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Much. Yeah. Just using the yeah. name specifically. Yes, it definitely does. Yeah. Come, but misrepresenting <coughs> who, yeah. you know, who the names represent. Yeah. I'm just uh, you know, fascinated by Joseph, and I know we didn't really look closely at his life, but when Potiphar's wife wants him to go to bed with her, and, and he says, Look, uh, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. And I'm just thinking that that encapsulates being a master of, of God. Hmm. You know, that you don't want to do anything to be against God so much for you. Um, yeah, there's a reverence. Yeah. What his brothers did to him and, and stuff like that. You know, it could be a very disillusioned time where you might give uh, uh, a little bit of slack to Joseph for maybe not being quite right, but just just amazing the, 
conviction that he has here to, to represent God well in that situation. Yeah, yeah. That's true. I mean, it's, yeah, it is more than just using God's name as a swear. It's more than, you know, the OMG or the gosh or the G's or whatever. <clears throat> but it, it's a posture. It, it, it's, you're, you know, an ambassador. It's, it's respect. It's worship. It's delight to use it properly um, and not to misuse it, to degrade it, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I typically don't have time to watch a complete game of anything, but I, I like to check out highlights. <laughs> There's not, no highlights to really watch of anything, like, you know, tackle knitting. <laughs> uh, Underwater basket knitting or something. Yeah, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, um, yeah, it's just, it, it, it is, in a sense, taking away. Right. Um, the whole, you know, well, we idolize sports stars and, and, and totally and, and, and so on. Not, I, I should say we, because there's some people who care less about sports, but but uh, but they're kind of knocking down these uh, things that people, hmm. you know, yeah, it's true, and are just uh, are so attached to or consumed with. Yeah, and look at the stocks right now. The same thing's happening. They're plummeting. I think I saw something today. They haven't been this low since 1987. Like they've now dipped below the 2008 Black Monday or whatever that was. Now it's 1987. So sports, finances. Yeah. What else do we worship that's getting hit with the COVID-19? Health. Health? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, the environment, they, I did read somewhere that the environmentalists will be happy because there's less travel happening. So hey, <laughs> that's good, you know. <clears throat> God's still going to make a new heaven and a new earth. <laughs> um, so let's keep going. Otherwise, we're never going to get to the end of these. We're only three in. Um, Exodus uh, 20, verse 8. Does somebody want to read that one for me? <clears throat> a bit of a longer one. <clears throat> I guess 8 to 11. Yeah. So God commanded, what about the Sabbath? Keep it. Keep it. By resting. Set, apart. Set it apart. From the rest of the days. Yeah, from your ordinary work. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's a special day. And that's not just us, not just you, it says, but everyone in your household and your animals for that matter. It's funny how the animals keep getting brought in, hey? Like, 
<clears throat> part of the plague and now they're not to approach the mountain and now your animals are supposed to get rest too. God cares, cares about, you know, fluffy a little bit. Not enough to be carried in an arm bag. <laughs> um, okay, verse, uh, verse 12. What does this mean? <laughs> okay, yeah. How do you how do you honor your mother and your father or authority over you? I guess uh, when when your kids are living with you, that is to obey. You obey, uh, and it goes beyond that when they move out. I guess it's more of a respect, maybe some service too. Sure. Yeah. As they become elderly. Do not murder. Next one there. Pretty straightforward. Any questions? <clears throat> Verse 14. Do not commit adultery. Um, I mean, the Webster Miriam says that, that what is adultery? It's voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and someone else other than that person's current spouse or partner. There you go. In the New Testament, it actually further ex expands that, right? To be anything even looking, anyone even looking and thinking it, it's the same as though you've done it. It even says the same about murder. If you've thought it, if you've hated a brother. Yeah, yeah. The, the covet kind of touches upon that. Yeah, you desire, yeah, you desire your neighbor's wife or whatever. How about, uh, what are we at? We're 15. Must not steal. I often see stealing actually also wrapped up in a few, like stealing somebody else's wife, um, stealing somebody else's life, <clears throat> that kind of a thing. I mean, stealing is pretty straightforward. We sometimes talk about, you know, did you ever steal a cookie from the cookie jar? Um, I mean, it's basically just anything that you didn't have permission for, anything that wasn't yours. Uh, it's not always physical. It could also be, yeah, like, like adultery is, I think it's stealing from somebody as well. <coughs> the idea of honor and it, it's uh, a dishonor to someone to, to steal from them. Yeah. It's a disrespect and dishonor. Yeah, dishonor them, for and sure. To, to the person who it is, it's dishonoring themselves. Right, yeah. I mean, anyone who's had their house broken into, they talk of being violated, even though they weren't there. How about verse 16? You must not, must not test falsely against your neighbor. What does that mean? Answers on the board. <laughs> Lie. Yeah. Themselves. That's one thing, but 
not to do anything contain trouble upon your neighbor. Hmm. I'm testifying falsely. Sorry, where do you get that? I mean, I don't disagree with well, you, but... testifying falsely has the idea of, uh, by doing so, you're something bad is going to happen. You know, um, that take to jail, maybe, you know, potentially put to death, depending on what they're accused for, uh, of, you know, falsely. And, uh, you know, so it is, by testifying falsely, there's an implication that that's going to bring harm in some way to your neighbor. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah. I just want to see how you're tying that in. Not that I disagreed, but... <coughs> Be truthful, like. Yeah. And Paul <coughs> says in, I think it's Galatians, love does no harm to their neighbor. Does this, do you guys think this includes little white lies? Yeah. yeah. Specifically, yeah, for sure. Okay, let's go to the... Uh, uh, here we are, last one, I think it is, right? Yeah. Verse 17, who wants to read that one? Yeah, the whole, this wishing earnestly for or desiring what belongs to another um, and talk to the man or your neighbor's stuff, basically, right? Um, what, what's an example of that? How do you guys see that played out today? Or how does it manifest? Or Wow, I never thought of that before, but that's true. Wow. Yeah, to create a need that previously didn't exist. That's just it, because, you know, I, that's why I quit getting flyers years ago, because I'm like, I never knew I needed something until I started looking through the flyers. And now I feel like I need to go to Home Hardware or Canadian Tire where everything's always 90% off. How do they do it? But, yeah, that's true. It's, I mean... They make you feel like God hasn't provided those ads, right? Yeah. I need that. I mean, if there's a sale, you want to get a sale if you need something, but you've got to be disciplined. Yeah. And I may have said this before, but a lot of um, advertising uses the same tactics that uh, Satan or the serpent used with Eve in the garden. To, to refer to 
Hmm. You don't have enough. Wow, you guys are like rocking my world tonight. I'm just thinking about this. Like, no more ads. Anytime I come into my house with anything like an ad on it, rip it out. But it's true. I'm being a little bit joking, but it's true. Like, I see what you're saying, honestly. Wow. Right. And anything that all they have, like, what if they have a really great, like, canoe or something, and you wish you had that, or, I don't know, just... Yeah, better lawn. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's not just uh, physical. Yeah, yeah, it's abilities, and... Yeah. So, backing up, Israel said, we will do all that you'll say. What are the chances of Israel consistently obeying even just one, any one of these... To be accepted by God. Zero. Zero. Yeah. I mean. Like there is a potential that from a physical perspective, they might not murder or commit adultery. Sure. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're right. My, yeah, you're right. In, in that time. Right. There was hatred. Yeah. So, I mean, knowing, knowing that, I guess, today, yeah, then they'd be like, well, I'm not going to murder, but maybe, maybe they did know more then. Yeah. Okay. Just, just to play the other side, like, Deuteronomy 4 says, uh, make sure that you don't add to what I command you. So, when we're, I wonder if we're doing that when we say... Uh, well, it says don't bear false witness, so don't uh, give false testimony. And then we say, well, that, that means lie to a white lie. Or then Romans 9, or Romans 7, actually. It talks about, uh, like, so this is this is the law of covetous, uh, and it produced, and, and Paul it produced, uh, like when the law came, it produced all sorts of covetous desires. But it says that the intent was to give life found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. So, like, when God gave these commandments, then he was, was he, was he kind of expecting people to be able to use them to, to do good? And, and, and we have people like David in the Psalms say, like, I'm blameless for God, like I, or, you know, like I, uh, keep me from awful sins, then I might be kind of blameless before you. Like I know, I know on the other side, Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, that it swings the other way. But like, did God give them the law without expecting some measure of success or something? Like, I mean, I think 
Yeah, I mean, we can talk, we can discuss this. I mean, I don't want to add more to it than what it is that the word was meant to be, but he provided this as a standard, I think as a moral standard to, to shoot for, I don't doubt. Did he expect us to be able to hold it up perfectly? No, I don't believe so. But what was the intent of the Ten Commandments? Was it just so that society would be kind of, you know, moral? Let, let's keep going in the lesson to kind of talk about that, like what the, what the intent is behind these commandments. I mean, as we think, like, let's just look at the first few there, just keep it kind of clear cut. Is, do you think they could have kept um, no other gods before me? <laughs> perfectly and holy. Or, or no carved idol, perfectly and holy. I would, I would think so. Like, like, well, we know what happens, right? Yeah. So they didn't. Uh, but for did some generations, did they? Deuteronomy 4 um, says, uh, you know, so here, O Israel, the decrees and laws on what each you follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land of the Lord your God's giving you. Do not add or subtract, but keep the commandments of the God. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did to the, to the people who worshiped Baal, Baal, or however you say that, Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed Baal. Mm-hmm. So there were some people that didn't fall. There were some people that held God mm-hmm. holy. Or in the time of Ahab, when Baal was in the land again, and, and Jezebel was killing off God's prophets. And I think Elijah said... 7,000. Yeah, he says, I, I alone am the, one, am the only guy left. And God said, no, there's, there's people that aren't. Mm-hmm. Right, that, that aren't bending the knees to these false gods. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I also wonder what the degree of measure was. Sorry, Tony. Yeah, I was just about to say, going ahead into Joshua, uh, a guy named Achan, uh, only one guy, one family, you know, yeah. sinned by um, taking of the uh, things that were supposed to be dedicated to the Lord, and God judged the nations. At the end of Joshua, uh, Joshua's telling them, get rid of the gods that you have among you. Yeah. And they were trying to find out who's got them. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to bore down on this. The, the intent of. of but I'm not saying that everyone. Right. Had one, but, but it did seem that, um, you know, as a nation, you know, um, they didn't have to necessarily be wholesale every single one of them disobeying in order to. Yeah, it's like they seem to be more like a, they were like a family tie-in. Yeah. And I think it's also good to remember that let's say for the sake of argument that someone could keep all the thirteen lines. Let's say someone could. I I mean I doubt they could keep the ninth one, so you had the tenth one. But let's say someone could keep almost all of them. If they one time in their life, only once, lied or coveted in their heart, yeah. that's guilty of breaking the whole law. Well, I, I wonder what the, that means too, because we take that out of James and we say, "I think it means I'm before God, I'm not innocent, like I'm I'm held accountable." Right. But I, isn't isn't there isn't there sins that are worse than others? Like like if I kill somebody or if I tell a white lie, like aren't those different? They're both sins against God. And they both positionally, I'm I'm no longer it, able to go to Him on my own merit. Right. Yeah. I mean the. That's what, the playouts can be, yeah, obviously to kill somebody versus to, to so steal that. Yeah. That's yeah, that's just it. 
but it, it's still a, it's still an affront to a holy god, yeah, that, and that's first yeah, and foremost. I can't, yeah, I can't, I can't go to heaven on my own, right? Like on my own merit, I can't do it. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Any kind of, any kind of so I can't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what what I think the the lesson behind the the Ten Commandments is we can agree that no human can keep them. Yeah, especially the tenth one. Yeah, and. Uh, I don't think any human then could have kept them. I don't think any human today could have kept them who's born in Adam. And, uh, and even, I mean, if, as Amy said, even if one were broke, then you broke, it's as good as though you've broken them all. Um, there's different human consequences, but before holy God, you've, you've uh, defied him in your disobedience. I mean, it's the same, it's the same as like this, this little thing of water here. If I went to the bathroom and said, oh, I just put, I just put one drop of toilet water in. Who wants to drink it? It's only one drop. It's only one drop of toilet water. It's, I mean, <clears throat> as we violate the Ten Commandments, it, we're more than just a mere drop of sin away from God. We're, we're just totally, every thought, every attitude, every word, every deed is tainted by sin. And I mean, that's on top of already our, our inherited sin nature. And, and these guys are no different. They too were born in Adam. They too had a sin nature, right? As they had a, a, a sin debt rope. <clears throat> so I mean, can I, you know, this is, the, this is the inherited body that I get from, or nature I get from Adam. Can I purify myself? Can I make myself white and pure and clean again? I mean, thankfully, God is willing to be our purifier, to be our deliverer, our rescuer, through, as we've t been talking, repentance, repentance of our sin, and faith in his coming deliverer. Of all the people at the time, alive at that time, the Israelites should have known, even in a sense, maybe perhaps more than us, God's might and power, because they, they saw it so visibly. It should have humbled them in, their pres in, his, in his presence. He called them his own, his treasured people. I mean, they knew at this point, think of all the things they'd witnessed. They knew that Moses was their leader appointed by God, who brought them out of Egypt. God had chosen them, uh, and he's faithful. He, chose, he set them free from their bondage. Uh, you think of all the miracles, the plagues, the sea, the manna, the, all, all the provision there. And, uh, and, and this is, God wants to take these here and use these as a mirror on them to say, you need me and I'm your only way and I'm the God who's the miracle, covenant-keeping, faithful, almighty one. So, he got them to say, will you do this, before he kind of presented it. Why would he do that? Why would he, in the end, kind of un uncover and say, you know, it sort of has this feel of, aha. <laughs> it can have that feel to it. But, I mean, he already knew the full picture, the full story. He knew they wouldn't fulfill it. Why would he offer it? Yeah, yeah, in the bigger picture, yeah. That he wants to give those things and ultimately you know, through his promises will, you know, we, we can actually enjoy that today, you know, on the other side of what uh, God's deliverer did for us. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's his longing to, to give this, uh, you know, to, to be, in a special, 
treasured relationship with, with people. Um, and I think he's hoping that people have that same longing. Yeah. Yeah. They also reveal his character. I mean, it's the way he shows what he's right. like. He says um, that he can't give his glory to another. Uh, that he, right. Uh, that There's none before him. Yeah. That, that you know, <coughs> he made people on the image of God. I mean, they reveal a lot of his character. Those two men exalt him. He's true to the promises he made. Right. Don't, you know, don't steal because God gives you what you yeah, he's the provider. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. It reve- yeah, it's telling, it's showing who he is, as you're saying. Um, it brings them face to face with all of who he is more clearly again. Um, and, and again, points to their helplessness. Just like in Egypt, they're helpless. So before the Ten Commandments, they're helpless to adhere to them perfectly all the time. <clears throat> And, and it also shows the level of holiness that, that would be required of them if they were to be accepted. So he was making it pretty darn clear that they were going to have to depend on something outside of themselves, right? Just like Adam and Eve in the garden had to depend on something outside of themselves to be acceptable. Like the fig leaves didn't work it, and so they, they had to take a covering that was acceptable by God, provided by God. God was going to make a way for the Israelites. So let's put our name there. We'll do it. We'll do everything you say, God. Have we perfectly worshipped God alone as supreme and sovereign? I know I've broken that more times than I can count. Point in, Alan. <coughs> I mean, we've failed. I've failed. We're helpless already. Just, just with looking at those first few there. Fully deserving to be sent to the lake of fire. I mean, each of us has a sin debt. Remember that ropes that I assigned to all you guys at the beginning? We all were born with a sin debt, just for starters. And then we don't worship God as supreme and sovereign. I mean, we're just starting to touch on the sense of seriousness that we're born into against our holy God. Let's, let's start to get... Here, I have a little exercise for us. You want to uh, cut off as much... Rope as you feel you would, might need. No. <laughs> Don't go crazy, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Cut yourself off a foot or so. Whatever you think would be adequate to keep track of your record. Yeah, yeah. Running out already? I didn't bring enough yarn? Just kidding. <laughs> they got better scissors, nice. Do you want one? Sure. You can you can participate in this exercise. Are we doing the circle? Are we doing the circle? No. No, we're doing something different. No circle. Here you go. I know. Oh yeah, but I'm like, how do I have a knots on here? Okay. I got, I got me one too, don't worry. I'm on that Sindet chart behind me too. <clears throat> so, I mean, if we've, if we've broken the first few, if you guys have had anything that you've worshipped ahead of God, 
you know, put a knot there for every time you've done that. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's tie knots in our sindet rope. For every time we broke, let's go to the, we might not have done a carved idol, but uh, maybe we've uh, put some money into an RSP and we watch it drop and our hearts cry and, or something like to that effect, or you, your car gets scratched and you... Yeah, I was going to say take the DED off of it and make no car idle. <laughs> exactly. How many times have you done that? Or, or how many times have you OMG'd or, or something like that? Or in your heart, disrespected God's name or who he is. Just put a knot in there for every time you've done that. Put a knot for every time you've dishonored your parent. For any time you've not obeyed. Alan, you've got to add a few more there. I see that. Come on, keep going. Um, anytime you've not loved anyone with a pure heart, you've committed murder. Add the knots. Keep going. <laughs> Yeah. Is, is Jody expecting home tonight? <laughs> yeah, we're going to keep going until Christ returns. <clears throat> you lied? Have you wished for something that wasn't yours to wish for? Have you lied? No. <laughs> <laughs> Get tying the lots. <laughs> A few more. I mean, this, gets us, this gives us, again, a further sense of where maybe the Israelites are starting to feel. Here we are. God is giving us all these commands. How am I going to keep them? I just said I would. That was a lie, you know? We can't keep what God is saying. I, I, you know, I can't get past the first one and I've already got a sin debt. How, many, how much of a sin debt does it require to send us justifiably to the lake of fire? You guys have enough rope? Should I pass the ball around? Oh, that's okay. I mean, you guys kind of get the idea, right? It's like how many, how many times have we violated the law? The commandments are sometimes called the law. How many times have we violated the law? I'm all knotted up. You're knotted up. Yeah. How did we break these commands? Very easily. Very easily. Trusting in others. Trusting in our abilities, looking to our means. Yeah. Yeah, did anyone have to teach me how to defy my parents? Andrew, I mean, Alan, did someone teach you how to not obey your parents when you were one year old? <laughs> Maybe your older sister? <laughs> well, nobody taught her, I'll tell you that. Right? I mean, I look at how sophisticated my kids can sin. And. I know that nobody had to teach them, that they were born with a sin nature that gave them the propensity to sin. So, yeah, we give ourselves to things that God tells us not to give ourselves to. We prioritize, we mix our priorities, we put God down, if he's anywhere at all, and we put things above, whether it's the car or our family or money. Um, and what does this show about how we are, who we are? And how we view God. I mean, it shows our total depravity. It shows that maybe we don't take God who he says he is. Um, we don't think he's authoritative, that he's trustworthy. 
Yeah, I mean, it just like, yeah, I, I'm, mine is binding up. I didn't do what Amy did. Mine's building on one. <laughs> I mean, we don't have enough rope to tie enough knots. But it only took one. One violation. This is our personal sin before God. Yeah, there's other consequences, but that's secondary. First off, it's against God, who demands a holy holiness to us if we're to be accepted by him there's not enough rope for me not enough rope for you guys in this world our answers to these questions reveal our idols ezekiel 14 3 says um says it well we have set up idols in our hearts so we're doomed anybody got a not free rope is there any possibility of god accepting us on this I can't even get a straw over that. There's so much debt. Are we as holy as God? What is God's judgment for each knot? Yeah, eternal separation. Forever. There's not an end. I'm not trying to fear monger. I'm just telling you what the Bible tells us. God's word. This truth should drive us to our knees and our brokenness over our sin because there's nothing we can do but by faith look to the one who can provide the answer, who can provide the covering, who can provide the deliverer, the means of rescue. He alone can make us holy. He alone can make us acceptable before him. Remember, God will have no rivals. So we're left to humble ourselves saying, God, you alone are good and loving and gracious. All I need is found in you. I belong to you alone as my sole owner and my final ruler. I need you to continuously teach me and lead me. God, I exist for you alone. Lord, I am a sinner against you and completely unable to help myself. I don't even think I could untie these knots, let alone help myself. It's impossible for selfish and proud sinners to maintain God's holy covenant. We must look to his rescuer, just as the Israelites needed to look to his rescuer. These Ten Commandments do a pretty good job, I think, of exposing sin, uncovering sin, not only to us, but to the people of the time. We see that God has a holy standard. He demands perfection. People are confused. We learned, they thought they could, they could perform. Even today, people think, well, I'm pretty good. When I hold up all that I've got, I'm pretty good overall. But yet, we also see that it's impossible to perfectly follow the commandments, don't we? Any other ones that jump out to you guys that are stood out to you guys? I like this analogy. Just as you can't, just as you can't use a mirror that reflects dirt on your face to wash it off, so God didn't give the Ten Commandments with an expectation that you'd follow them and that would make you clean. You see, do you get that? He didn't realistically think, okay, I'll give you these Ten Commandments, you'll clean yourself up. It'll be great. It's a good system. I got it. God's got the system. He had a greater purpose in mind. Using it to expose our sin, to show us our sin, and that we couldn't overcome it ourselves. And in that, humble ourselves, looking to Him. Looking to Him alone in what His rescue plan is and what His provision would be. And it all points forward to the deliverer, the one means of rescue. 
no one will be declared righteous before God by following the Ten Commandments. Yeah, they might clean up our society a little bit, but look at our society. Is it great? These commands just reveal, really, how sinful we are before a holy God. So we see why he revealed it. Was this an act of love and grace? Or was it cruel and mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. How kind it was for him to do something that would so clearly show us how wicked and separated and evil we are. I mean, again, it's him desiring to pursue and extend himself to be the initiator. It wasn't mankind saying, hey, God, give us a mirror. God was like, I'll give you a mirror and I'll show you where you stand before me and how holy I am. But again, humanity is also filled with pride blindness, thinking that there is some sort of good in me. But God needs us to come to the end of ourselves before we can recognize our need and the need of salvation, ultimately. These commands point us towards that end, leading us to God's one mean of acceptance, rescue through repentance and faith. Oh, the lengths that God goes in pursuing us, you guys. First, he reveals our sin. Second, He reveals our helpless estate. Third, he reveals the one means of rescue. Knowing this, what are you guys thinking now? I mean, it's not new news for a lot of you guys, I'm sure, but... Yeah. Yeah. And talking about the stuff. We haven't talked about with the worst the name we haven't brought up yet. But you know, that we came down. Right. Yeah. I mean I think every time I do this and reflect back on the Ten Commandments, it's clear it exposes my sin and it exposes my need of a deliverer. It's pretty obvious, it's glaring. <laughs> And I, and I hope it brings you guys there tonight uh, of this, just this greater dependency on the one alone who can rescue and, and whose righteousness we have the opportunity to, to have dawned on us. Any questions or... <laughs>